check. One, two, one, two. Mic check. One, two, one, two. No, guys. It's here. We're back. At least one of us is. This, we're going to have to rebrand this. We're going to have to redo this. Where's the C? Where's the Y? Here I am. Where's the J? Welcome. Welcome, guys. We might as well change the name from CYJ to the Bi-Week pro uh, Podcast, right? Even with the new jam. All right, let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome to week six, week seven of the 2021 NFL season. I'm your host, Yanko. And today I've got NFL.com. I've got social media. And this new song I found that I'm kind of digging. But hey, you know who has a worse record than the attendance of this podcast? The Detroit Lions. The Lions who are 0-6 for the first time since 2008. But that don't matter. We're here and we're going to talk football. We're going to talk fantasy. We're going to talk NFL power rankings. We're going to talk all kinds of things on this podcast. And guys, if you guys ever want to join on, if you guys ever want to come, I mean, I don't blame you guys for not doing it. We're not here often enough. We're not here enough to actually constitute something to say, yeah, 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 let me let me jump on there. And that's that's extremely and most positively my own fault. Uh, I at one point on this podcast said that I was going to be here uh, without a do, without failing uh, ever again. And guess what I did, guys? I've done that. But let me tell you guys a little something about Yanko. I'm always very conscious of the podcast and I'm always very aware of things happening in the NFL. And that hasn't changed. What has changed is things that I can't control in life. Uh, there's been some joyous occasions, weddings, family. And then there's been some occasions where my family and other things have taken a little bit of a hit, but the fandom in me doesn't stop. So I'm going to try to exude that fandom uh, through this podcast. I'm going to try to really demonstrate that this podcast is still very much alive and still very much relevant. Enough said. Let's just jump into what was the NFL week six. And what, what a slew of games. I mean, it's Thursday night all the way through Monday night. And you might not be a fan of the games that uh, happened. Or maybe Thursday night isn't your jam, your team. But I watch, and I'm sure some of y'all watch too. If I'm just digging around the house with chores, if I'm just setting up my lineup, I am totally tuned in to what's going on. And this week, I it was a little different for me because I was able to actually uh, spend some QT, some quality time with my, with my father who visited this last weekend uh, and watched some football on Thursday night. So that was really cool in combination with... Uh, Playoff baseball. I uh, had some really good games. Uh, we had the Giants and the Dodgers go to a controversial last uh, check screen uh, at the end of that game, two outs, bottom of the ninth. But that didn't matter. Uh, the Red Sox moved on. 
the Dodgers have moved on. They're playing the Braves right now. And then we've got the Red Sox uh, playing the Houston Astros. However, football, what happened on Sunday, Thursday through Monday? Let's, let's just talk about it. Well, in a nutshell, we had a surprising win in London with an early game on Sunday, 23 to 20. Jacksonville is no longer defeated. They've actually won a game, guys. And if we're going to later talk about some players that have uh, surprised during the year, uh, surprised uh, many. And this guy, I'm not sure any of you guys had you had this kicker on the fantasy lineup, but he hit two field goals unexpectedly. And the one to tie the game actually at 20 apiece was a little bit of a curveball, but in a kick, right? However, uh, good game to watch if you were up that early on Sunday. You had the Bungalows or the Bengals uh, really just beat the Lions to leave them at 0-6, and that must hurt. The Lions, if you've been able to watch a couple of games or you have a couple of players on fantasy from their team, they've been in some games. They've lost some heartbreakers, and at 0-6, you've even had their coach at the press or talking to the press in a way that you can tell there's emotion. You can tell there's heart, but I firmly believe they'll at least win a game this year. Who is that going to be or when is that going to be is to be determined. A close game in Carolina where the Vikings in overtime uh, won it in walk-off fashion almost with a 27-yard touchdown pass to a wide receiver who is eluding my mind right now. But hey, maybe you had him on fantasy. Who knows? Carson Wentz looks to be back in shape. I know to the detriment of Josh's opinion, he's starting to look a little better, maybe find his rhythm. And the, with, with the return of T.Y. Hilton this past week, Maybe he hits a groove. They beat, I mean, handedly, the Houston Texans 31-3. to You had the struggling Chiefs against Washington in Washington. And although the score indicates it's 31-13 to in favor of the Chiefs, what is going on with Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes throwing now for 15 interceptions in the last 15 games. Uncharacteristic. And shout out to Josh, who called that the Chiefs were going to have a mediocre and potentially not even make the playoffs. And we'll get into a little bit of the division and which they're in. Obviously, as a Raiders fan, I, I will gloat a little bit uh, later on, but they're not at the top of their division in the AFC West as where you've been used to seeing. LA takes care of the Giants 38-11. Uh, to 11. The Giants had some injuries, I mean, completely off the top. They are decimated at wide receiver. I was one in one of my leagues that I'm in uh, that picked up uh, Tooney as a wide receiver, he started off hot three for 36 within the first couple of drives or the first drive. Actually, I may be, I could be sent to be corrected there. However, rolled the same ankle that he uh, had already rolled before and he didn't come back. So Sterling Shepard was really the only wide receiver of name uh, to be on the field. They've got Darius Slayton and Kenny Galladay with Tooney out. Shepard was really the only known wide receiver uh, there they don't have Saquon and then Daniel Jones I mean that poor man is trying to keep that team together but it's hard when you don't have the people that you've practiced with the people that you've been perfecting your timing with the people that you ran routes on the offseason threw balls to them planned for planned with and all of a sudden they're not there anyway the Packers take care of the Bears, as the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, as he clearly stated, owns the Bears. 24-14, not much to say there other than Justin Fields continues to show a little bit of progress, but the growing pains of a rookie quarterback. The Ravens, after having a Monday night blunder week one, have not lost since. 
And they're looking to be one of these tougher teams, not only in the AFC uh, conference, but in the league itself, blowing out the Chargers 34 to 6. And the Chargers could just simply not stop the run. Antonio Freeman, remember that guy? I mean, I'm sorry, Devontae Freeman, remember that guy? He scored a touchdown. How about Le'Veon Bell? Was he on your fantasy roster? He scored a touchdown. Latavius Murray. Yup, that guy scored a touchdown. And then others. However, at 34 to 6, the Ravens look strong. Cardinals at Cleveland. No coach. A couple of COVID-affected people uh, for the Cardinals squad. However, that didn't matter. 37 to 14. And they took care of business. I actually picked the Browns after going toe-to-toe with the Chargers, scoring more than 40 points and still losing the week before. Baker Mayfield, shoulder problem. They don't have a running back anymore uh, that we're familiar with, right? Nick Chubb, out. Kareem Hunt, left. Odell Beckham, wide receiver, gone. Jarvis Landry, nowhere to be seen. So who is? where's the offense? Now, was there enough, could you say, to piece together at least a more competitive game? Absolutely. If you thought that the Browns were going to contend it, not because of their offense, but because of their defense. Where's their defense? What? Yeah, I don't hear them either. Miles Garrett and company not showing up, getting torched by Kyler Murray, 37 to 14, giving us 5'11 guys uh, some hope that we can be athletes. It's a little too late for me, but hey, more power to him. The Broncos at three and two facing the Raiders at three and two. And we will talk about the Raiders. I have to talk about the Raiders, not because I'm a fan, but of everything that's gone on, which took the NFL world by storm and could continue to take the league by storm. The Raiders look resilient. The Raiders look good. They come out not deflated emotionally, not in any way, shape or form eroded by all the press and everything that could have happened. And let's, let's face it, guys. If the Raiders would have lost again on Sunday to the Broncos, the Broncos would be held in higher regard than what, honestly, the Raiders are and concerning their team. Now, the Raiders came out, won 34-24. That score is a lot closer than what it should have been. There was a lot of garbage time scores and stats that put up. But hey, if you had no offense, if you had Cortland Sutton, uh, you were a beneficiary. Raiders 34-24. A close game in New England. The Cowboys take it 35 to 29, but that that could have gone either way. The Cowboys should have gone into New England, into Foxborough, taking care of business at Gillette Stadium with a rookie quarterback, with a bunch of guys that are playing good, but not great. The Cowboys are the greater team, both offensively and defensively, but that was a lot closer than what it should have been. And that just shows how. Belichick is still the best coach, if not the best ever in the NFL, being able to coach up his team, coach up his defense and give it to the Cowboys who barely eked out a win at 35-29. Keeping an eye on Dak, who strained his right calf on the last play, which was the winning play to CeeDee Lamb in, uh, was it overtime? No, I don't think so. Anyway, doesn't matter. Cowboys win 35-29. A close one in Pittsburgh where the Russell Wilson-less Seattle Seahawks went to Pittsburgh and just barely lost. Barely lost. 
who won that game for them? Watt did. Watt was able to come up with the, the sacks. Watt was able to come up with the key plays on defense. The Steelers, I think, should have scored a lot more. I don't think that the Seahawks defense is something to worry about for teams, but they put up a good fight. And Pete Carroll and company always send tend to uh, really deliver it, really actually put up a fight. I think they had a great game plan. I think they were able to really keep the Steelers to a minimum. However, uh, mistakes just killed the Seahawks. Although a little controversial at the end, right? I mean, we had uh, a couple of challenges that maybe could have gone either way or a challenge that could have gone either way. Uh, a kicker that could have missed it, but didn't. I mean, it, it, it was it was a good game to watch. I'm not a Steelers fan. I'm not a Seahawks fan, but it was a good game to watch. And I got to put a shout out, out to myself in fantasy because I picked up off of waivers the Steelers defense the Steelers defense in combination with Alex Collins and Tyler Lockett, I barely eked out. And if it isn't for overtime, I don't win in the FFF. Shout out to the team I played. I eked out a win and a desperate win, but we'll get into that once we get into fantasy. Monday night football. Whoa. Bills, Titans. And let me just start by saying this. King Henry, Derek Henry, if you have him on fantasy, Ride the wave. Absolutely monster game with three touchdowns. He leads the league, or I'm not sorry, the lead. He leads more than half of the NFL and yak yards after contact with 587 yards. Let me just tell you who he has more yak than the Cardinals, the Eagles, the Washington football team, the Giants, the Panthers, the Bucks, the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Ravens, the Saints, the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Patriots, the Bills, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Colts, the Vikings, the Rams, the Jaguars, the Texans, the Packers, the Bears, the Lions, and the Niners. Who would I miss? Who would I miss? I think the Cowboys. But that's pretty much almost everyone. Man, he's helping a lot of people stay in first place in fantasy. Steve, I know you hear this. You've got you've got to hang on to him. Unless you get some kind of killer trade, which I doubt anything uh, would even out to trade him away. But King Henry put up a show and the defense at the end holding Josh Allen, which I think was a dumb call. I, I really do. It's fourth and inches. It's a very, very makeable field goal at the end for uh, Tyler Bass and company for the Buffalo Bills in Tennessee. You're playing a close game. It's obvious that the Titans are desperate for a win. You kind of had for a little bit A.J. Brown disappear. Julio making an amazing catch. You still hang in there. Cole Beasley having a good game. Stephon Diggs having a good game. A tight end who no one probably had rostered scores a touchdown. And Josh Allen was Josh Allen. But I have to blame coaching for the Bills. That might be a game that comes bite to bite them at the end of the season for not kicking the field goal, possibly going into overtime, and then extending their chances to win that game. Uh, I know a lot of us aren't into betting, but a uh, crazy story on Bleacher Report's betting. There was a gentleman who bet $1,000 and hit a parlay and picked every game right, you know, predictions uh, through the NFL. And the last game he needed was for the Bills to win. He didn't cash out, from what I understand. 
His thousand dollars, if the Bills would have won, would have gotten him over three hundred thousand dollars. Ouch for losing that on it. I think he ended up settling, but nowhere near three hundred thousand. Anywho, enough of that. That's kind of the week in the NFL. But let's talk about more NFL things as we go into Week Seven. There are a couple of things that I want to go over, uh, and I'm going to start with the Panthers and the Broncos. Now you might say, "Well, why them?" Well. They started off 3-0, and now both of them have lost three straight. Do you guys remember when the Panthers were being recognized or at least acknowledged, maybe put on a pedestal higher than what they should have been as a great defense? Oh, no, they're trading for Stephon Gilmore. Who's going to stop them now? Tom, Sam Darnold is on fire. Christian McCaffrey, it's okay that he's injured. They've got Chubba Hubbard. We'll wait for Christian and when he comes back, maybe we'll lose a game, maybe two, but we're at the top and we're our playoff contenders. <clears throat> Wrong. They've lost some close games, but what, what happened? And then you had the Denver Donkeys, who started off 3-0 against who? The Giants, the Jaguars, the Jets, and then they've lost three straight, making the Raiders defense on Sunday look like a, the Bears defense of the late 80s. Three interceptions, multiple sacks. Max Crosby had three sacks, a hat trick for himself, a fumble. I mean, what has happened to the Denver Broncos? Now three and three and not the teams that we thought they were. However, after six weeks of NFL playing, your top five league leaders in passing yards, Tom Brady at number one, number two, my boy Derek Carr, number three, Patrick Mahomes, number four, Matthew Stafford, and number five, Dak Prescott. And what I've learned is that although these guys are top five, it may not mean that they're top five fantasy, but good to know that they're airing it out. There's Tom Brady at his age, Derek Carr, for the turmoil that they've gone through, still putting up monster numbers. Patrick Mahomes, we expected it. Matthew Stafford, we assumed it, absolutely. And Dak Prescott, before breaking his ankle last year, was putting out monster numbers. Are we surprised that he's doing that right now? Absolutely not. But who, who are these guys throwing to? And are, do these quarterbacks have some of the top receivers? Well, no, it doesn't necessarily translate automatically because your top receiver in the NFL and yards received is Devontae Adams, putting up 668 yards through six games, over averaging over 110 yards per game. Cooper Cup, multiple touchdown games, 653 yards at number two. Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase, surprise rookie of the year, potential offensive player, offensive rookie of the year. Do you guys remember hearing the mumbling in training camp that he's dropping passes, that he's not, he's, oh, not, wasn't worth a first round pick? Da 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 da. Anyway, top, he's number four in the league in receiving yards and then rounding it up at number five, Debo Samuel. But what else is there to talk about? What about our rushing leaders? Well, 783 yards for Derrick Henry at number one. Following him, even though he missed a game, Nick Chubb at 523, Ezekiel Elliott, Joe Mixon, and Jonathan Taylor, who, if you haven't seen this guy work out, he looks like a guy you built in Madden to be on your team. That guy is stacked. That guy is ripped, and it looks like he's starting to catch his form after having a lackluster start, especially in fantasy. But those are your top five at the positions that you get the most, right? At the most uh, acknowledgement. But 
What about some players who didn't get enough love in week six? Who didn't get enough media attention? What about a player like Derek Carr? Let's admit it, guys. With all the drama surrounding the Las Vegas Raiders, he balled out on Sunday. And if he was on your bench, just like he was in mine in one of my leagues, you might have regretted it. He balled out. He's letting that hair flow. And as long as he keeps throwing that ball and letting that ball flow to Mr. Ruggs himself over the top and others, I don't mind. Khalil Herbert, 112 total yards. I think he had 97 rushing yards and a touchdown. One that was taken back, actually, off from a rookie six-round pick, making a name for himself while David Montgomery and the number two running back is out. Now, I know Josh doesn't really like to talk about him, but really, no one's talking about Carson Wentz. And, and I get it. He's not putting up monster numbers that make your jaw drop. But if you were to look at the stats, if you were to look at the analytics and the efficiency, he might get the Colts back in shape as we start to approach not midseason, but make or break time for some teams. And the kicker. You would say a kicker on this list? Yeah, absolutely. The Jacksonville, Jacksonville Jaguars field goal kicker, Matthew Wright, is the only reason they have a win this season. He scored the last six points against the Dolphins, who, I don't mean to get off subjects, but after the Dolphins had a strong end of season last year, made the playoffs, we thought maybe Coach Flores and company can put this together and they can be a contender, not in the AFC as a whole at the very top, but to make the playoffs, and they're definitely not looking like that. Max Crosby, should he be on the Defensive Player of the Year watch list? Absolutely. This guy has gone through some mental turmoil, some addiction issues, and he's come back this year and definitely on the defensive side of the ball, balled out. Three sacks alone, the hat trick on Sunday. QB hits, pressures, along with the defensive line, really, in Las Vegas, who was surprising a lot of people. Now, let's talk about a rookie. A rookie on a losing team, however, putting up good numbers. Jalen Waddell, 10 catches for 13 targets, 70 yards, and two touchdowns as a rookie. Not bad. And then we've already talked about Jonathan Taylor. He went off on Sunday for 145 yards and two touchdowns. Given it was against the Texans, but it's that type of confidence booster that Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor might need. There's that peanut butter. There's that peanut butter. Shout out to Healthy Dynamic, Freddie, and L.A. Lambs. Steve, you guys know about this guy, but the media and others may not know about this guy. Maybe I missed the post, but Daryl Henderson Jr. always eats every week. And despite missing Meek, uh, uh, one game this year, he's a seventh-round pick in many fantasies as he averages that. And he's putting up numbers at least 15 points a week, depending on how your league is scored. But good, decent numbers from a guy that doesn't get a lot of attention. Did you guys start Marvin Jones this week? Well, Marvin Jones went seven for 101 touchdown on a terrible team, but still getting the work done at age 31. Now, those are some notables, but what's most notable? How about if we were to grade free agent deals? We're going on to week seven, and there were some free agent deals that were good, average, and then just bad. Let's start in New England with Matt Judon, outside linebacker. He got a four-year, $54.5 million, uh, million dollar contract. He's been fantastic for the Patriots. Go look up his stats. Definitely something that's a great A. How about Jameis Winston? Now, 
They were on a bye week. Yes. Taysom Hill has been taking some of the load. Yes. They play Monday night this upcoming week. However, for one year, five and a half, five and a half million guaranteed worth up to 12 million. I think that's like a B plus. That's like a, it's not bad, but it definitely isn't great, but enough to make the Saints serviceable. Now, how many of us doubted that J.J. Watt was going to work out in Arizona? I guarantee you there are Texans fans looking at Arizona going, you guys have J.J.? You guys have D-Hop and others, and you guys let him go, Houston? And now he's contributing to 6-0 and in Arizona. I think that was a decent uh, free agent acquisition as well. How about Kenny Galladay leaving the Lions? Oh, he's a big receiver. He's going to have a great year. Put him on a team where he can be featured. Let's give him four years, $72 million. Eh, C minus. He's been injured. He hasn't been productive. And maybe it's part of the offensive scheme. Maybe Jason Garrett is a little bit to blame. However, he hasn't been doing great. Did you guys hear about William Jackson III, a cornerback? Highly touted in the free agency period in the offseason three years 40 and a half million i haven't heard anything about that guy which leads me into the six and no cardinals hard segue but undefeated nevertheless preseason chances of making the playoffs the experts had them at 32.2 percent of making the playoffs after going six and oh their chances, 99.2%, a difference of 67%. That is a huge, let me say, huge turnaround for the Cardinals, who more than likely are going to make the playoffs. How about the Chargers? The Chargers having playoff chances of 38.7% before the season started. And now, even though they're still, they lost on Sunday, they're still 4-2, and two, tied for first place in the AFC West when the Chargers are having an off year. The Raiders may be the only team to give them a run for their money in that division. Yes, surprisingly enough, I said the Raiders now are an 81.8% chance of making the playoffs. Look, Justin Herbert is playing great. Mike Williams, yes, I called it. Mike Williams is playing great. They're on a bye this week. Maybe they rest up and they come back hard and start winning some football games to keep those 81.8% chances even after losing on Sunday of making the playoffs. How about the Cowboys? The Cowboys had a 56% chance of making the playoffs and now have a 97% chance. They're good. It pains me to say it. They're good. They look good. And as they keep playing like that, Thanksgiving may not be a great result for the Las Vegas Raiders. Although, if the Raiders play hard, if the Raiders can keep up and have an offensive shootout with the Cowboys, they have a chance. And that would be a good game. I still pick the Raiders over because I'm a Raiders fan. But the Cowboys, 97% chance of making the playoffs. And I think a lot of that has to do with the weak division that they're in. I still think even with how they're playing, they would make the playoffs regardless. Surprise, surprise. The Bengals with Joe Burrow sitting at 4-2, and two, having a 15% chance of making the playoffs prior to the season starting. And now increasing their chances to 52.5%. That's a big jump. In a division that is there 
not necessarily for the taking because the Ravens look better, way better than the Bengals, but a strong AFC wildcard contender. Some numbers, some stats always help put some things together in our heads to know, okay, well, this, this team is surprising. This team does this. Well, this team is doing that. And if you guys participate in, participate in an NFL pick them, maybe some good numbers to know. But power rankings, and I'm, only, I'm not going to go through all 32. I'm just going to go top five here uh, with the power rankings. And according to the NFL Network and NFL.com, the top five teams heading into week seven at number one, not a shocker, Arizona Cardinals. Number two, Buffalo Bills. I think they rate this based on games and not necessarily records. Obviously, the Bills lost on Monday night. However, they were in contention and there with maybe a more than better or better than mediocre team against Tennessee. They sit at number two. Number three, the Bucks. I think that their defense is, isn't performing the way they did at the end of last year. However, the Bucks last year didn't really catch fire until the second half of the season. At number four, the Dallas Cowboys. And at number five, the Baltimore Ravens. Those are probably two I would flip-flop, just being that I trust the Ravens' defense more than I trust the Cowboys' defense. Although Trayvon Diggs has been balling out. Six games, six picks, two pick sixes. Had a monster pick at the end of the New England game and then gave up a monster catch at the end. Growing pains for a cornerback who is starting to taste a little bit of that fandom, right? That's starting to taste a little bit of that. Ooh, okay. I can do this. I might, I might be able to uh, be a star in this NFL. Diggs Island coming up. Who knows? Let's talk about more football. Let's talk about a couple of things that uh, another stat, one more stat. Lamar Jackson's total yards is greater than 18 teams, more than half of the NFL. He sits at 1,860 total yards. That is more than the Falcons, the Panthers, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Lions, the Colts, the Bears, the Texans, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Jets, the Seahawks, the Washington football team, the Niners, the Packers, the Steelers, the Saints, and the Jaguars by himself. That's more than half of the league. Surprising, surprising stat. And Lamar Jackson making a case for MVP. I think he's in the lead. Now, guys, let's make a little bit of transition. Let's, let's talk about, and I have to talk about this, the Raiders. Prior to the Bears game, Friday, before the Bears game, News broke from the Washington Street Journal and then later on from the New York Times that some emails have been discovered in a probe that the NFL was doing on the Washington football team while Bruce Allen ran the show. This goes back to 2011, while Gruden was still in the Monday Night Football broadcast booth. They were sending each other some emails in which were derogatory, in which were racist, misogynistic and to the world where they hold this in high importance anti-gay not all of the emails surfaced on friday but you started to catch wind you started to catch a little bit of rumors here and there after the story was published and i honestly think that john gruden 
was made an example. That John Gruden may have even thought to himself, along with Mark Davis, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, that this may blow over. Fact of the matter is, guys, is that if he would have stayed with the locker room, with the organization, after these emails, let's ignore the fact that we live in a cancel culture world, that he would have lost the team. Ironically enough, a lot of the things that he bashed on and didn't support that he wrote in emails to high-profile people in the NFL, he was coaching the first openly gay player on an active NFL roster to begin with. Not only that, but being and having racial slurs that would indicate that he is racist himself to a degree. A team that is a league that is composed of more than 80% African-Americans. In a new city in which weirdness, sin, and all things allowed are accepted other than those three things, anti-gay, racism, and misogynistic tendencies. Talking about women and refereeing, talking about specific people, including the NFLPA president, and saying some harsh racist remarks. And I honestly think that Mark Davis, and when Josh comes on again, we can talk about this a little more. I don't think it deserves too much time in the future. I honestly think that Mark Davis would try to use the weekend to gather information, potentially hoping that they wouldn't fire him or that he, that he didn't have to fire him. With the news breaking during the Monday night football broadcasts, that John Gruden had resigned. I think Mark Davis gave him a shot, let him leave gracefully. I think the Raiders hurt, and it was expected to some, if not many, that the Raiders were going to have a horrible week with a interim head coach that had never been a head coach before, special teams coach Rick Basaccia, who has been coaching for over 25 years a close friend of Gruden's with a ton of families, a ton of personnel, a ton of front office staff in Las Vegas that were hired because of Gruden, worrying that when he resigned, what was their future? What is their future? This going all the way up to Mike Mayock. I think the Raiders organization, after he resigned and wasn't fired, a gift by Mark Davis, handled it well. They were calculated they said the things that they needed to say. Obviously, some of it was scripted, but well-worded. And I think out of everyone who interviewed, Derek Carr had the best line. I love the man. I hate the sin. And if you guys didn't know, Carr and Gruden are actually neighbors in a Las Vegas neighborhood. As the week progressed, they started to come out stories, for example, of Derek Carr driving to practice and seeing John walking on the street and going, hey, coach. Where are you going? You need a ride? John Gruden turns around and tells him, you, need, you have some work to do. Get to practice. I'm not advocating supporting John Gruden, but I think there's something that I'll never understand, and that's loyalty to a person 
in which you spend a ton of time with, a whole year with, plan with, strategize with, become friends with. Maybe your families becomes friends. Maybe you start to create a friendship outside of football and is held to the stake for something he did over or close to 10 years ago. We have to admit, guys, that 10 years ago, this was a different world. However, as cancel culture-esque this may be, as for some may not be enough to get someone fired or for someone to resign, fact of the matter is that in any world, anything that he said via email is unacceptable. The Raiders actually looked better on Sunday. They looked like more free on the offense with Olsen calling the plays, Carr having the full reign. You had a defense that played out of their mind. The special teams coach is now your interim coach. And one of the benefits of having a special team coach take over, in this case for Rick Bisaccia, is that he, to a degree, works with all players because some of these special teams guys play offense. Some of them play defense. And you have to admit that it was kind of expected for the Raiders to lay a big dud on Sunday, but they didn't. My question is, how can they ride this momentum, this emotion, in a positive note, turn it around to make it something worthwhile to continue through the season, to continue through the next two games in the next three weeks before they face the Chiefs on Sunday night? They have the Eagles this weekend, a winnable game. Then they have a bye, and then they have the Giants, a winnable game before they see Kansas City, which Kansas City at 3-3, three and three, sitting almost at the bottom of the division, down there with Denver, doesn't look as strong as they have. The Raiders have a legitimate shot. And if they can make this something that they can build on, something that will solidify and really bring the team together and turn that negative into a positive, Derek Carr and company can make some noise in the NFL. Can definitely make some damage and do some damage. Josh said it. I agree with him. I said it, that the Raiders needed to make the playoffs this year. I think Sunday against the Bears was a dud. They were flat. They knew it was coming. And the locker room had already been lost. And they went out there and put a piss poor performance against the team they should have beat. Now, shout out to the multiple Bears fans in our fantasy football league, the FFF. It's a win. You took it. You got it. A win is a win. But I honestly believe that if they were to square up again in the future this year, that that would be a different story after they've been able to emotionally and morally for their own sake, get over what many thought would have been the end of the Raiders season. So that leads me into my next topic. Who are the top candidates to replace John Gruden in 2022? Is it Rick Bisaccia, who, if he takes him to the playoffs, if he has a team stand behind him and support him, I think has a good shot at staying in as coach, at least for another year. But what about some others? First guy that comes to mind? Offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, a guy that's been talked about in the league to have multiple shots at head coaching, but just doesn't get the opportunity. 
And let's face it, guys, would this be a good move for the Raiders, a team who's known to be diverse in the past under the regime of Al Davis, one of the first, if not the first, to have a Super Bowl winning quarterback who is a Hispanic? The first team to have a Hispanic head coach, the first team in Art Shell to have an African-American coach, the first team to promote a woman all the way up to the top. I think as president, I may be wrong, but high position in the organization of the Raiders. This team has stood for diversity. This team has stood for equal opportunity and hiring someone, a minority as their head coach, just makes sense. Eric Bieniemy is an offensive mastermind, and I would love to see him. Another candidate that's being thrown out there is Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Byron Leftwich, Leftwich offensive coordinator for the Bucks. Brian DeBole, offensive coordinator for the Bills. And Matt Eberfless, offensive defensive coordinator for the Colts. I think you need an offensive guy, especially with the job that RDC currently in Las Vegas is doing. He has brought that team together. That defensive side of the ball with Gus has brought that team together. But enough about the Raiders. They've won. They've done their thing. They're moving on. And I look forward to this weekend, especially since I'm going to be in person for the Eagles Raiders Sunday afternoon. Let's talk about fantasy, guys. Let's switch gears a little bit. Which fantasy player will you go for next week off the waiver flyers? Will you try to make a run for Khalil Herbert? who is making a case for himself? Will you try to make a run for Derek Carr, which has the opponent of the Eagles on Sunday, who has gone for over 300 yards and sometimes even four each game this year? Will you go for A.J. Green, kind of a sleeper, who has had five catches for 79 yards and a touchdown against the Browns, a touchdown the week before that against the Texans, and is starting to kind of make a name for himself in that in that already stacked wide receiver core, right? Because they've got Christian Kirk. They got Rondell Moore, wide receiver, rookie, who's making a splash, and obviously Hopkins. How about CJ Uzma? Will you try to get him tied in for the Bengals? Three catches, a touchdown against the Ravens this weekend. Hey, if he scores a touchdown in a pool where tight ends don't really make a name for themselves or there isn't much to pick from, might be a good pickup. But if you won in week six, kudos to you. What did the perfect lineup, according to NFL fantasy football, look like? Well, if you had Josh Allen at quarterback, if you had Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette, CeeDee Lamb, Cooper Cup, Noah Fant, Matt Prater, and the Rams all in your lineup, you had the perfect lineup. Out of these guys here, I only had the Rams defense uh, to thank and some other leagues, I don't have anyone else. No, I lie. I have no offense. But I don't have anyone else. That was your perfect lineup for week six. So week seven. What's, what's happening in week seven? Who's playing who? What's going on? What about fantasy? Well, let's look at the lineup and the news for week seven as we get closer uh, to Thursday night where we're going to have the Broncos and the Browns. Yeesh. Not necessarily a game to look forward to. However, a game to watch anyway. Uh, news leading up after week seven is that Ravens left tackle Ronnie Staley is done for 21 after having some surgery. 
that might hurt, but it does help that Lamar Jackson is a mobile quarterback. Week seven also brought an interesting, interesting quote from outside linebacker Von Miller saying that he guarantees a couple of sacks against the Browns and whoever the tackle is that lines up in front of him on Thursday that he's going to, quote, kill him? I don't know. And Cowboys News safety DeMonte Kazee was arrested on a DWI. What a loser. Has someone drive you? I mean, you make plenty of money. Anyway, and then you have a couple of things brewing with some big uh, fantasy implications with buys coming up. You've got a couple of buys, so check your lineups, check your fantasy, and make sure to hit that waiver wire. And maybe some sleepers leading into week seven on fantasy. Maybe it's time to look at Matt Ryan. Maybe it's time to look at A.J. Dillon, Jamal Williams, Marcus Calloway, Traycon Smith, Nicole Hardman, maybe even Josh Gordon. I'm on Ross St. Brown, Zach Ertz, who was recently traded to Arizona. Imagine going to sleep two and four and waking up six and oh. Crazy. But with Ertz's departure from Philly, that opens the door for Dallas Goddard, who is going against the Raiders this weekend. And I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. The Raiders have never really been great against tight ends in general when it comes to stopping them for fantasy purposes. Now, NFL Week 7 is bringing some interesting matchups. As we get closer to the NFL Week 7, we have the Broncos at Cleveland starting on Thursday nights. Then you have Chiefs, Chiefs, Titans, Washington, Green Bay, Bengals, Ravens, Panthers, Giants, Falcons, Dolphins, Jets, Patriots, Eagles, Raiders, Lions, Rams, Bucks, Buccaneers, ah, Bears, Buccaneers, Texans, Cardinals, Colts, Niners, and then rounding it out Monday night, Saints, Seahawks. We usually go here through pick through them. So winners, I think, Browns, Chiefs, Packers, Ravens, Panthers, Falcons, Patriots, Raiders, Rams, Bucks, Cardinals, Colts on Sunday night. That's my blazing pick of the week. And I'm going to say Seahawks on Monday night. They're pretty strong in prime time at home. That 12th man is no joke. Let's talk fantasy. Let's talk the FFF. And I'll start with myself. I was excruciatingly close to losing. And what a game with Fly Eagles Fly. I mean, it, it came down to probably one of the closest low scoring affairs this year. However, I was able to eat out a win with a uh, give or take 10 points in which the defense because of overtime saved me. It saved me. And it, I think saved my season. I'm not sitting pretty at two and four. However, this usually is the time where you turn it around, where you make noise to try to make a playoff push or at least stay relevant and not get 11 I mean, 11, 16th place in a stacked league uh, for the FFF. At 16 teams, man, that waiver wire looks thin. Now, leading into this week, Team Yanko is going to face Austin Whitebeards. Austin Whitebeard sitting at one and five, ranked 15th in the league out of 16. Eric 
He's got some guys on, important guys actually on by with uh, Keenan Allen, his kicker, uh, going into the week. And Nick Chubb with White, the running back in New England, also both out this upcoming week. And Dallas Goddard just got COVID and he may not make it for Sunday night's matchup against the Raiders. So prediction, I hope I win. And according to uh, the projected points, I'm up as Team Yenko is favored to win against Austin Whitebeards. We have Los Chicharitos going against LA Lambs. A good game coming up. The projected currently, as I look at it right now, is 116.07 for Los Chicharitos and 116.77 for LA Lambs. That should be a good game, a close game. Both have good players. Uh, I think... The difference here might be Derrick Henry, but we'll see. Something to look at with number four in the league going against number six. We have Gronky Kong, who suffered his first defeat of the season at 5-1 going against Master Deflator at 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Gronky Kong falling to third place somehow in the league and Master Deflator falling to seventh place. Uh, Gronky Kong has Austin Eckler on a bye. Matt. Master Deflator has his tight end, Conklin, on a bye. And we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens as he also has a lot of Bills players on the bye. So definitely a watch for Master Deflator on that waiver wire. We have Hollow Lame sitting at 13th against COVID-49. And an almost close matchup if it isn't for A.J. Brown saving Los Chicharitos on Monday night. Uh, a couple of guys on bye, both of them having their starting quarterback both Dallas and Pittsburgh having a bye week that also affects hollow lane with CD lamb and his kicker. And when it looks to be for COVID 49, just his starting quarterback, does he have, and his backup is also man is also on a bye as Justin Herbert is on a bye as well. So he'll definitely be hitting that waiver wire. We have those also's at four and two playing the 52 ers at three and three. You know, uh, it sounds like a house divided. Los Osos ranked at number five. The 52ers at 114. One a Bears fan, one a Niners fan. Who knows? However, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Brother against brother. I'm looking at their lineup now, and they don't have anyone that stands out that's on a bye week. So right now, Los Osos is projected to score 125. And the 52 ers at 114. We all know those projections don't mean diddly squat sometimes. Our next division, not division, our next game in the FFF will be Healthy Dynamics sitting at two and four with Fly Eagles Fly at one and five. Uh, they don't have anyone significant. Oh, wait. Fly Eagles Fly has a buy for their tight end. And then I'm sure Healthy Dynamic will switch out that defense who he uses uh, for a waiver wire pickup as well. Los Mireyes going against Máquina de Fuego. Máquina de Fuego going to 3-3. Three and three. Los Mireyes, one of the stronger teams in the FFF, sitting at 5-1. and one. The, Let's see. Derek Carr starting so far for Máquina de Fuego, acquired by trade from Yenko. Uh, they both got some guys on the bye. However, not important people, mainly kickers and defense. It looks like Máquina de Fuego, for now, is projected to win that matchup. And the last, we got two matchups left. No, one matchup. We have Bear Force 1 sitting at first place in the FFF against CD Goats. 
sitting at 14th at one and five. They don't seem to have big players on by other than, oh, wait, he doesn't have a defense yet and he doesn't have a defensive player. I'm sure that is quickly to change as the Bills defense and Trayvon Diggs, good pickup by him. Uh, that is Bear Force One, projected to win anyway, week seven. Guys, fantasy's been great. Fantasy's been awesome. It's fun. And I hope to get a couple of wins and make it interesting. Maybe I'll have a Cinderella story like I did last year. Uh, maybe the trade that I made with Maquina de Fuego will help me out. I know it definitely did to help me win at a very low scoring affair on Sunday, but a win being a win. One more thing I want to talk about. Josh brought up that this was the year of the running back two. Sometimes for, in this case, like the Bears running back three. But I want to bring up the year of also wide receivers. Hear me out, guys. How many guys going into college and then out of college to the draft are trying to be running backs right now? You have more guys trying to be wide receivers who could potentially be at worst taken into the league as a cornerback if they don't have it as a wide receiver. As a matter of fact, Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs was indeed a wide receiver in college and in high school. However, has translated well as a cornerback, a guy that was willing to adapt. You're asking yourself, what's your point, Yanko? Well, to me is that wide receiver is becoming the, the position to, to want, the position to be at a younger age. And I'm not, this isn't my original idea. I heard this on a podcast that Colin Cowherd has aside from his show. And he talked about how a lot of high school players and how he's a high school nerd in the recruiting class are starting and wanting to be either quarterback or wide receiver. Now, obviously, because of the amount of positions at quarterback, you have at most 64 quarterbacks that make an NFL roster. But when it comes to wide receivers, you get three to four per team, making that over 120, actually 128, 130 positions open in the league. Now, if you want to be a wide receiver, not only are there more potential slots open, but you're getting paid more. And that's where the running back position starts to take a fall. The running back position isn't being paid for anymore like it was before. The running back position is becoming more interchangeable. The Bears are a perfect example. Montgomery goes down, other guy comes in. And I think his name is Williams. And then he goes down, rookie comes in. Now, how much of it is the offensive line? How much of it is play calling? How much of it is actually a, the running back being a good player? But as interchangeable as that may be, the running back position isn't as glamorous or as wanted, as coveted by guys who are trying to make a name for themselves from high school to college, from college into the NFL. And let me correct myself. That person is D. Williams running back, number two spot uh, in Chicago. You've got a couple of running backs uh, by committee now. Also, you have the Raiders with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake, you have your everyday bell cow running back, and then you have your speedster. The Browns are another perfect example. Win healthy, Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You have your power and your elusive speed guy. If you go look at Dallas, you have your power guy in Zeke and your elusive speed guy in Pollard. If you go look at the Bucks, you've got almost running back by committee with Jones and Fournette. The Patriots are a bad example, but they have a turntable at running backs and have kind of maybe even foresaw that this was going to be a thing sooner than the league did. 
you've got the Texans who are horrible right now, but they traded for Johnson. They have Mark Ingram, and I forget the name of their rookie, but they are almost running back by committee too. I think they signed the run. They did sign the running back Philip Lindsay. That's not the rookie. Philip Lindsay. If you go into KC now, you've got Alaire out. You've got Williams, and then they still got Jared McKinnon on their roster actively, actively. My point being is that you have players who have been in the league who are now just floating around the league. Madison in Minnesota making a name for himself as Cook has been riddled with injuries this year. My point being, and I know I've said this already, but my point being is that tight, I'm going to acclimate this to fantasy football and the tight end position. How many tight ends can you say are top tier? Or that you would pick at number one, number two, number three, or number four in your rounds for your fantasy football draft. Or for the even the NFL, for that matter, come April. Are the running backs to become that? As more and more men, boys, aspire to be a wide receiver, aspire to be a quarterback. Food for thought? Who knows? Is it going to impact offenses? Is it going to impact the way coaches coach? Will it have the Steph Curry effect in which he revolutionized the game when he came into the league just shooting, just straight up shooting and changing a culture in which you had a center that was your primary focal point. And now you've got guys like Christoph Porzingis in Dallas shooting threes when they're seven foot one, revolutionizing the game. Are we going to see that same type of revolution happen in the league? Honestly, I think so. I also, as the league gets more friendly towards offenses, starts implementing more rules to protect the player, records will be broken, not because, not only because games or seasons have been extended from 16 to 17 games, but because you're starting to see that prototypical player, that hybrid player, become less of a running back and more of a wide receiver. I mean, heck, look at Darren Waller, the second best, if not debatably the best tight end in the NFL who lines up at wide receiver sometimes or can and has the same speed, the same build, and the same agility for route running, for cutting, for catching, high-pointing the ball, red zone threat as a wide receiver. All in all, guys, it's going to be something to keep an eye on as the NFL progresses into the future. I thank you for listening to me this week. Anyone wants to join, I'm always ample. I will have to say this. I'm not going to be here on Monday as I will be flying back from hopefully a victorious Monday for the Raiders from Las Vegas. Shout out to everyone who listens to this. Shout out to all of our faithful followers. Shout out to the FFF. And I'm sorry we didn't talk Chuko boys this week. Maybe because I'm not in that league. Hmm. Something to think about, <clears throat> Gilbert. Anyway. Regardless of what it is, thanks for listening. Hope to have Josh back. He might have to fly solo next week. The CYJ podcast signing out, not only by himself, Yenko, but maybe we change it to the bi-week podcast. Until then, until two weeks from now, Yenko says, peace out. <laughs>